Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Nobody Likes You. Nobody Likes You. Has anybody ever had anybody say this to you before? Nobody likes you. Uh, maybe, maybe even a small child at some point said this to you. I've had this said to me uh, by a child, um, but it was not when I was a child. It was when I was a full-grown adult, and it still hurt my feelings. Is that weird? Have you ever been caught off guard by uh, how much you wanted someone to like you? Because like it shouldn't matter, but it did in the moment, and you were sort of scrambling uh, for them to like you, and it took you a minute to even realize what you were doing. I remember one time I was at, some of my kids were younger, I was at this park uh, with my kids when they're about this age right here. Look at how cute they were. Oh man, this is before all their teenage ants angst came to roost. Um, but uh, I was at this park and they were playing, and there were some other kids that I didn't know that were playing with my kids. And, uh, and so I was like, man, I'm gonna go over and say hi to these kids and see what they're doing and see what's going on and make sure these uh, ruffians aren't bullying my children. And so I walked over and as I'm walking over to these kids and they're about the age of my kids in this picture, I start feeling like weirdly nervous. Like, man, I hope these kids like me. I'm, I'm in my late thirties right at this point, And I'm just like, man, I hope these five, six and seven year old children think I'm awesome, you know? And I'm walking over and I, I start talking to these kids and, and I feel like it's going well. I'm dropping some dad jokes, you know, and uh, sort of teasing them a little bit. And there is this one little boy who is just not impressed by me. And of course that made me want to like earn his love even more. And so I'm like kind of working for it a little bit. And at, finally at one point, he's kind of looking at me suspiciously and, uh, and I'm like, hey man, what's up with you? And he goes, you are chubby. And I was like, okay, um, no one asked you, but that is, that's great that those are your thoughts, and uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and then he goes like this, like he was trying to be compassionate. He goes, is it because all of the food? <laughs> and I, I felt like I was frustrated, I was hurt, I was angry, you know what I mean? I was like, man, I... I, I like, wh why does this even bother me right now? Like, why do I want to push this kid on the ground? You know what I mean? Just being real with you guys. Um, I was like, do you get beat up a lot? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, because he just seemed like the kind of kid I didn't like. And the reason why I didn't like him is because he didn't seem to like me in that moment. And even walking away, I was feeling like sad. And I'm like, do I need to go on a diet? Like, I feel like, you know, seven-year-olds are thinking I'm chubby or whatever. And I'm, I'm going through this whole train of thought. And I'm just like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? And yet I did care in the moment. I cared more than I was proud of, more than I wanted to. It just sort of impulsively came out of me. And I, I, I'm guessing that you have had a moment like this in your life too, where you were caught off guard by how much you wanted somebody to like you. You went into something feeling confident and came out feeling maybe a little insecure. Because the truth is, we all wanna be liked. It is very natural. Everyone, regardless of who you are, is somewhat sensitive to rejection. And this is not a mistake. This is God's design. 
Um, and that desire to be liked actually affects our behavior. And this is a good thing. Because if you didn't care about or weren't considerate of others, you would be a psychopath and probably in prison right now, okay? That would not be a good thing. Part of the reason why God designed us to actually care about what other people think is that care cultivates consideration, right? When we actually care about what other people think, we are motivated to not just look out for ourselves, to actually uh, consider other people, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what's best for them, not just what's best for us. And this is a big deal thing. In fact, we're told over and over again in scripture that we ought to be caring and considerate of other people, that there's, there's a certain amount of wanting to be liked that actually is healthy and even godly. But the reality of it is, and this is true of all of these trophies that we're talking about in this series, the over-prioritization of any good thing becomes a bad thing, right? And you know this just by looking at other things in life. Even too much medicine ends up being poison, right? The right dose at the right time of anything can be positive and powerful, but you know we're Americans, so we believe in overdoing everything. It's kind of our thing. And oftentimes we take something that's good and we put it up on a pedestal and we put too much emphasis on it and it ends up becoming a bad thing. The thing itself isn't wrong, but the focus we're putting on it is slowly poisoning us. I remember uh, several years ago, it's like a couple years after we moved here, uh, my wife had this friend who was just like, I'm gonna go all organic. I'm gonna grow all of my own food. And she had this beautiful vegetable garden. And she, my wife is just like, we need to do this. We need to start a farm in our backyard. And I'm like, it feels more like her thing. Why don't you go help her? Um, and this lady was growing all her own fruits and vegetables and she was a vegetarian and she was mostly eating fruits and vegetables. She made these smoothies and her big thing was carrots. She loved carrots and she would make these carrot smoothies with uh, other like carrots and oranges and all these other different things. And, and she was just like, man, this is, I'm gonna make my body so healthy. I'm getting all these vitamins. And slowly over time, uh, her skin turned orange. One day she showed up to church and she looked, I mean, she was completely, she looked like a human carrot, just to be real with you guys. She was completely orange and she was kind of like freaking out about it. And so she went to the doctor and her doctor was just like, well, what, what have you been doing? What have you been eating? And she's like, well, you know, just fruits and vegetables from my garden, I'm very healthy. And he's like, do you eat a lot of carrots? Uh, she was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, you're poisoning yourself with carrots. You're eating too many carrots. It's actually like past the point where it's healthy for you, and now it's actually starting to be unhealthy for you. Like too much of this natural, healthy, good medicine is actually beginning to poison you. You need to back it off a little bit. And I was just like, and then I asked her, I was like, do you wanna go get some cheeseburgers? And that was not <laughs> something she wanted to hear from me. Because the reality of it is like, um, when we become too focused on something that's good, it can become Bad, and the same thing is true of likability. Being overly obsessed with being liked can backfire. And you have probably seen this play out um, with people in your orbit, right? The guy who texts his girlfriend, and if she doesn't text him back within 3.5 minutes, he starts panicking a little bit, and then he starts like, like text bombing her with all different, and then he's just like, you know what, she's cheating on me. Um, that's what's happening, it's over between us. There's a person that like, you know, if somebody vetoes their idea at work, 
immediately, instead of being like, well, you know, yeah, there's probably just differences of opinion. They're just like, you know what? Everyone here hates me. I'm getting fired. That's what's going to happen. They've always been against me here. Or the person that you invite to do something and they're like, I don't want to go. Why? Nobody there likes me. And you're like, but you've never been. You don't even know these people. I can tell. I can tell that the type that would want to go to that would automatically hate me. And if you've been around people like this, you know that they can be exhausting. Some of you are like, man, I know people like this, and I'm glad you're addressing this. And some of you are just like, why you got to call me out like this? It feels uncomfortable. What I've learned is this, that people who tend to come off needy when they have unmet needs, and people obsess over being liked when they feel completely unlikable. And because of that, they find themselves being willing to do pretty much anything they need to do to fit in. They want to be liked by everyone, but are nervous that maybe they don't belong with anyone. And they assume like, if somebody doesn't like me, it's probably my fault. But if I work really, really hard to become more of what they want me to be, maybe I can win them over, but probably not. But I'm still going to try. They thrive on affirmation, but, but struggle to receive compliments. You know anybody like this? Like if somebody says anything good about them, they find a way to dismiss it. They're just like, you're either lying, you don't know what you're talking about, or you have some weird ulterior motive. Because there's no way you could just like me for me. That isn't even possible. Because they feel like they are most often tolerated, not enjoyed. And regardless of what you say to them, the voice of their inner critic is so much louder that that's what they take away. And that means that when, when you critique them, it sometimes completely collapses their self-esteem because it feels like a death blow because they, even though this is the first time you've said anything about that subject, they have been critiquing and criticizing themselves their entire life. And so it just feels like too much. And you wanna celebrate them, but often you're not sure how because you don't even know what they like. Because the truth is, they tend to like whatever you like so that you'll like them. And so it's difficult to know how to celebrate them uniquely because they sort of mask that. And they're convinced that they, they can't really reveal what they actually think, feel, and want because it feels like they are always just one more disapproval away from proving to themselves and everyone else that they really truly are unworthy, unwanted, and unacceptable. And because there is so much at stake for them, any little rejection feels final and nothing works out for me. Nothing ever goes my way. See, I knew they didn't like me. People that strive for this invisible trophy find themselves constantly asking this question inside of themselves, like, do I belong? Do I fit in? Like, do people really want me for me? And even though their heart is asking this question constantly, the assumption is that the answer is obviously no. And so they decide that they would rather be accepted for who they aren't than rejected for who they are. And even though they're receiving some acceptance, it feels hollow because they're not really receiving the acceptance their facade is. And this sort of feeling doesn't just bleed into human relationships, it actually taints their view of the relationship with God because they're driven by insecurity. 
You see, um, somebody who is secure thinks this way. They're like, you know what? God made me and God likes me and I like me. And so if you like me, that is a nice bonus. That's incredible. I don't need it, but I love it. But people who are driven by insecurity think like God doesn't like me. In fact, I think he's disappointed in me. And I definitely don't like me. And so if you don't like me, I feel empty. I don't just want you to like me. I need you to like me because that is where I gather my worth. Now, I know this feels heavy and some of you are just like, man, these people sound like the worst. And I'm feeling nervous because I think I'm one of these people. And I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm the worst. And I just want you to know you are not the worst because um, being this way isn't all bad. In the reality, those who are sensitive like this to others are able to be sensitive toward others. In other words, because people who wanna be liked are really tuned in to what other people are thinking and feeling, if they leverage that, not just to assess whether or not you accept me, but whether or not you feel accepted by me, it actually ends up being an enormous strength. I think when these types of people are on, they're so attentive and present that they make the person across from them feel so incredibly loved and seen and accepted. They're exceptional at noticing and responding to other people's needs, understanding and empathizing with opposing points of view because they can put themselves in someone else's shoes. They're naturally welcoming and inclusive of other people, especially outliers and outsiders and outcasts because they know what it feels like to be one of those things. They're good at absorbing and reducing tension by sort of seeing what's going on with people and reassuring them and reframing the issue and coming up with a creative solution. And because they're good at so many of these things on the outside, it's often a mask for how they feel about themselves on the inside. In fact, I bet that some of the people you like most are afraid they're completely unlikable. And in your mind, when you see them, you're like, they are so awesome, which means they know they're awesome. And if you know you're awesome, then I don't need to encourage you. And because everyone thinks that way, they get very little encouragement. And, you know, because of that, they fear that nobody likes them. And that triggers them to actually want to double down and work harder for other people's affirmation and approval because they're desperate for it. And because they're working so hard to make other people like them, when you're watching from the outside, it just looks like confidence. And you're like, man, that is incredible. They seem so awesome. Obviously, a, a person that confident wouldn't need to be encouraged. And so you don't, and the cycle continues. And the, this person who has this desperation to be liked ends up on this treadmill of constantly fighting to prove they're worthwhile and always feeling like they are not. Now, I want to take a deeper look at this by just looking at uh, the positives and the negatives and, and especially how this can backfire in a big way when we prioritize wanting to be liked over all else by looking at this Old Testament story. Um, it's, it's found in the book of Exodus chapter four. If you have your Bible, you wanna sort of uh, get ahead. 
But just to give you some context, one of the key stories in all of scripture is God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. And he brings them on this journey through the desert and to somewhere that he called the promised land. And it's during this time that they learn who God is and how to relate to God and the way that God designed them to live. In fact, they get the Ten Commandments. They learn all these rules and rituals and rhythms, a lot of which we still utilize in our lives today to know how best to live. And yet all this story that sort of ends up being the crux of most of the Old Testament starts with God um, appearing and calling to this guy Moses and asking him to lead the people forward. And Moses immediately being like, I do not want to do that. And this is where it picks up. Exodus chapter four, verse 10 says this. Moses pleaded with the Lord. I am not very good with words. I never have been. I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. All right, God said, what about your brother Aaron? He speaks well and he'll be delighted to be with you. He'll be your spokesman to the people and you will tell him what I want him to say. Basically what's happening here is God is like, I want you. You have the character and the integrity to lead the people forward. I wanna lean on you to lead my people. And Moses is right away just like, I do not wanna do that because I am not a people person. I am not really that likable. I get frustrated and tongue-tied, especially when I'm passionate about something and I've been told I come off kind of angry and judgy. And so I feel like you should pick someone else. And God is like, that's interesting. I still want you to do it. Why don't you just bring your brother along and let him talk for you? And why does God suggest this? I think it's because what we find out is true about Aaron. The more we unpack his story is people like him. Like although Moses is kind of a curmudgeon, people like Aaron. He's optimistic. He's charismatic. He's persuasive. He's good at winning people over. I mean, he's not always the most discerning, but that's why Moses is going to be there with him to hopefully keep him on track. And this idea that God has to pair these two together to free his people and lead them forward works. In fact, I think a lot of times when these stories are told and retold, Moses gets much of the credit for what happens here. But here's the reality. Without Aaron, the Israelites never make it out of Egypt. It doesn't happen. So they're traveling through this desert on the way to the promised land. And Moses, this, at this one moment, does something he does a lot, is he goes up this mountain to be with God uh, because he's kind of an introvert, and that's how he rolls. And he leaves Aaron in charge of the people, which Aaron really likes because he likes being admired as like the leader that everyone looks to. And things are going great for a while until Moses ends up being gone way longer than anybody expected. And people start complaining. And these people do what most angry, entitled people do when things don't go their way. They complain to the person that they think is in charge. And you've seen this happen. Last, uh, last week, uh, I was flying to, my wife and I were flying to the East Coast to speak at this church in uh, South Carolina. And there was, we found out like the day we were leaving that there was a hurricane in the place we were supposed to go. And so we got halfway there to where we we're supposed to change planes in Dallas and all the planes that were going to the East Coast were grounded and we got stuck in Dallas. And, and like, I gotta tell you, people were freaking out. 
Like, it wasn't just our flight that got canceled. It was basically like every flight that was trying to go to the East Coast because there was this hurricane that was rolling through. They were being really cautious. And people were going off on other people. And as I was watching people yell at other people, it was kind of this sort of thing where, like, I was online trying to find an alternative flight. And my wife was in line waiting to talk to the people. And we, there would be this outburst. And then we'd make eye contact with us, like, these people are crazy. <laughs> and I was thinking, as I was watching people freak out on other people, is just like, this is so absurd because you're not even mad at that person. You're not mad at them, you're mad at your own circumstances. They didn't cause it, but you're taking it out on them, which is completely unfair because they're the only person here that can and is trying to help you. It just seems insane. And yet, when someone who really needs to be liked gets confronted, their impulse isn't to be like, I wanna help you, but I have some, I, you know, I have some boundaries. I, I, there, I have some values that I don't wanna cross. That there's, some, there's some protocols that I need to follow. When somebody who really needs to be liked gets confronted, their impulse is to do whatever the person in front of them wants them to do in order to achieve their acceptance again. Even if that thing is a bad idea. Even if that thing is borderline immoral, even if that thing requires them to compromise their value system. And in the story that we're reading, Aaron isn't just being disliked by a few angry customers, he is being complained to and criticized by an entire disgruntled nation. And because he wants to be liked, he's not really equipped to handle this well. And what is it that they want? says this in Exodus chapter 32, verse one. This is the people talking. They're like, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to Moses. And so Aaron said, take the gold from your ears, like earrings, they weren't growing gold out of their ears, just to be sure this was a metaphor for earwax. He says, and bring it to me. And they did. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw how excited the people were, he built an altar by the calf and announced, tomorrow will be a festival. This guy's losing his mind. Like, imagine this. Aaron is essentially just like, I need to do whatever I need to do to make everybody happy. And he does. And he actually knows in the back of his mind that everything I'm doing right now is a horrible idea. I should not be doing this. But he's not making decisions based on what is actually right and wrong. He's making decisions based on what he thinks is going to get him liked or make him disliked. And what I think is even more fascinating than this is he doesn't even settle for the bare minimum to sort of calm these people down. In fact, like it tells us that when he sees how much these people really liked the golden calf idea, he doubles down on it. Like to the extent that he doesn't even need to. He builds this altar and he starts a festival. And this is something you need to know about people who really need to be liked. They get carried away a lot. They end up doing a little too much. They end up being a little too extra. And this is exactly what Aaron is doing. And at this point, he is feeling great. Aaron is feeling so loved and so liked and so wanted. Like the people were like, we want this. And he was like, let's do it. 
It's no big deal. And he makes it happen. They like that. And he gives them more of what they want. And they're celebrating him. And he's feeling so good about himself until Moses comes back. Moses comes back down the mountain. And something you need to know about Moses is Moses is not really concerned with being liked. In fact, this is the argument he gives to God at the beginning when God calls him. He's like, you don't want me to do this. And God's like, why? And he's like, because I don't really care if people like me. And I've been told I'm pretty unlikable. And God's like, mm, I don't know. That makes me feel like you are going to be somebody who is going to do the right thing in the right situation. And Moses comes back, and I would even argue that he probably has an overactive sense of, judge, uh, of justice. And sometimes he comes off a little graceless, which is part of why God pairs him with Aaron to be a buffer between him and the people. But there is no buffer between Moses and his buffer. And so Aaron absorbs everything. Moses gets back. The first thing he does, he goes off on the people. And his rant is hilarious. And then, and Aaron's just sort of standing back being like, whew, he's mad. And then he turns to his brother and Moses starts yelling at his brother. And this is what he says. Exodus chapter 32, verse 21. What did these people do to make you bring such terrible sin on them? And this is what Aaron says. Don't get upset. You know how evil these people are? They came to me and they said, make us some gods that will lead us. We don't know what happened to Moses. And so I said, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And I just threw it in the fire and a calf jumped out. <laughs> just backpedaling as quick as he can. This is something I find interesting about this passage. And read this and reread this. Aaron never actually admits that he did anything wrong. He blames the people he sucks up to his brother, but he never admits that he did anything wrong. He's like, it's all them, man. You know how horrible they are. I kind of thought that's why you were leaving them with me. You needed a break. I mean, they, they freaked out when you left. And you got to give the people what they want. That's my philosophy. I actually feel like I did a pretty good job. They were super mad at you. And I thought they were going to like, you know, uh, form this mob and, and kill us all. And, and there was a problem and I fixed it. I made them happy. So you're welcome. I'll take that raise now. <laughs> In verse 25, it says this, Moses, Moses is like knows his brother and he's just like rolls his eyes. It's basically, he's like, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control. And so he stood at the entrance to the camp and he shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. So Moses draws a line in the sand and he's like, listen, are you gonna stand with me and with the one true God over here? Or are you gonna stand over there with the fake gold statue that you made? And immediately when this happens, a lot of the people are like, I don't know, we gotta party a lot with that statue. So I'm kinda torn. But all the Levites, who are like the priestly order, cross over and stand with Moses. And here's the interesting thing about this. You know who is the head of the Levites? Aaron. Aaron, who created the situation, walks over and stands with Moses in opposition to the situation that he just created. Interesting. Like literally yesterday, he was like, you guys... We can't trust God and Moses. We should do our own thing. Because that's what it took for him to be liked in the moment. And then Moses gets back 
and the tide of likability changes and suddenly Aaron is like, <laughs> I don't know what you guys were thinking, okay? You guys made some pretty bad mistakes back there, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because he actually cared about and respected the Lord? Not really, because that was what was required to be likable in that moment. Because that's the way he was built. Because that was his top need. And, and some of you, like when you hear this, you're like, I could not hate a trait in someone even any more than this. Like where are this person's values? Do they even have a compass steering their life? And they really do. Being liked. The approval of other people. In the game of life, that is the only trophy that matters to them. And maybe you're wondering like, if that's so frustrating when you look back on a situation and you realize that somebody was playing every single side, that someone never actually committed to being a certain way or valuing a certain thing. They're, they had no loyalty other than just to likability. Why would someone do that? Because everybody hates that when it finally comes out. And I think the reason is that these people grew up in a way where they came to see love as transactional, a reward for performance, not a free gift. They grew up in a family where it was likely that you were shown love for what you do, not for who you inherently are. And their need to be liked makes them really vulnerable to flattery and manipulation to anybody who gives them even an ounce of attention because they're so desperate for it. They often grew up feeling like maybe they were a burden, like their very existence was an inconvenience, that any approval that they were gonna get in life was gonna have to be earned by doing whatever the person in front of you wanted in the moment. And I would say this is not just exclusive to people that fall into this category or chase this trophy. Because the reality of it is the invisible trophies we strive to win in adulthood all stem from wounds we received in childhood. The reality of it is we chase now what it is we couldn't get then. And I want you to know that this is not a surprise to God. God knows this about you whether you're chasing this trophy or one of the other three. And I think that this is interesting because God understands this, that he chooses most often to frame himself in scripture according to the metaphor of a father who not only unconditionally loves you, but who actually likes you for you. And it's real and it's honest because nobody knows you like he does, including you. Listen to this, this is Galatians chapter four, verse five. The apostle Paul is writing this letter and he says this, now that you have trusted and believed in Jesus, you were no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. And the author here says like, Listen, when you place your faith, your hope, and trust in Jesus, when you elevate him as your top priority, you are no longer a slave, which I think begs the question, a slave to what? To everybody else's opinions and approval. 
Because when you finally realize that you already have God's, it's enough. It's what you've been desperate for all along. The author Brene Brown wrote that true belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And the reason is because if somebody likes you and you're not being the real you, they don't really like you. They like your facade. This is why some of us feel hollow. In order to truly be accepted, you have to show people the real thing that you want accepted. And that requires you to be vulnerable. But I think this begs the question, who are we? Like if being who we actually are is what, gains us acceptance, like, who are we really? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers says this, see how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. In other words, the truest thing about you is that you are a child of God, that God loves you so much that he sees you as his child, that everything he has, you have access to. John goes on to say, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. And I think this addresses some of the biggest pushback that a lot of us experience when we hear things like, you know, God loves you. We're like, great, God loves me. But let's just be real. If I'm so awesome, how come nobody but God notices Like, I'm supposed to feel good because God loves me. Like, you think maybe he would tip other people off to that. That would be awesome. How come only God can see my apparent specialness? And the second half of this verse addresses this. John is essentially saying this. People who don't value what God values may not see the value in you. But your worth is isn't the result of the approval rating of those around you, but of what God says about you. And fortunately, God likes you. And I think this is our frustration at times is we are trying to earn the approval of people who don't value the fact that we've aligned our values with God's values. If you are living like God has called you to and people don't like that about you, Maybe just let them not like you. And yet if you are desperate for that, you will compromise who you are, who you're made to be in order to be liked. And yet I would argue that it's even better than this. The reality is God's acceptance can't be earned. It's awarded. In other words, he gives it freely to us with no strings attached. And it can't be taken away. But here is what is true. You can refuse to accept it. And some of us sit in this place. I would argue that some of us who have even considered ourselves to be Christians for years, maybe even decades, are still running on a treadmill trying to earn the love of God, even though he gave it to us a long, long time ago. Some of us are still struggling to earn a gift that's sitting on our bed at home that we've had for years. Because here's the reality. 
It doesn't matter how much someone loves you if you won't receive it. And some of us have found ourselves in these sorts of relationships where we have tried to tell someone that we love them and they're like, no, you don't. I like you. No, you don't. You don't know me. I don't know. I've lived with you for 11 years. I feel like I know you pretty well by now. I really love you. We'll see. When? Decade three? Four? What is it going to take? Or maybe you've been on the other side of it where you have people in your life that are like, I like you so much. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Probably not. What are you after? What are you trying to get from me? What angle are you playing? What's the true story? Well, I don't know. There's some things that I've, I've done a pretty good job of covering up. And if you knew that, if you saw that, you probably wouldn't like me anymore. And the same thing is true of God. God can and does love you. But if you never choose to receive and accept his love, you will live your whole life as if you are unloved. What a tragedy. Striving to win a race, to grab hold of an invisible trophy, when you actually have the award already at home, you just can't accept that it's already been given to you. So I think the real question is, how do we live out God's acceptance as opposed to chasing the acceptance of others? And here's the real answer, practice. Practice. You have been practicing being unloved for a long time. You've convinced yourself that you are unlovable. And the only way to overturn that thought pattern is to practice knowing that you truly are loved and liked by the only being that matters, the one who made you, who sustains you. So I wanna give you five practices really quickly. You may just wanna take a photo of this so you can take it home with you. Five practices that will help you internalize God's value for you. And the first is this, to internalize what God says about you in his word, specifically through Jesus. Maybe even just take some of the, the scriptures that we have mentioned in this service, or maybe even each week, take a, a, a verse of what we show you that God says to and about you and just internalize, repeat that to yourself, meditate on it throughout the week. The second thing I would suggest you do is this, to learn more about who God made you to be and stop trying to be someone else. One thing I think is really helpful is to take a, a personality profile. Uh, our whole staff here has taken the, the Enneagram. I think it's super helpful. It gives you a snapshot of your tendencies, of the way you tend to function, of the things that are healthy and unhealthy about those natural tendencies. And it gives you the ability to be comfortable with who God made you to be and admire the strengths of someone else while just being like, that's not me. I don't need to be upset that I'm not that way. I don't think I'm supposed to be that way. I'm not made that way. I'm not designed that way. I need to lean into who God made me to be. The third thing I would suggest is that when people who know you tell you they like you, choose to believe them. They would love this. The people that are closest to you are sick of fighting you about whether or not they actually like you. If they didn't, they would leave. 
I remember in probably the first or second year of my marriage, I was going through this sort of really insecure, depressive phase. And I remember a, a buddy of mine, I'd be just being like, I'm not really sure if uh, my wife really, really loves me. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that maybe she doesn't. And, uh, and he's like, what has she done to demonstrate that that's true? And I'm like, I'm not sure, but I'll find something. And he's like, I think she really does love you, but let's say she doesn't. She still hangs out with you. She splits her paychecks with you. She, ha she takes care of you. She's intimate with you. If this is a lie, she is very committed. And I feel like that's just as good. And I was like, man, you were smart. Uh, I wonder if you just decided to choose to believe that the people who say and treat you like you're lovable actually know what they're talking about. The fourth thing I would suggest is this, to recognize that closeness comes from sharing your weaknesses, not your wins. You know what I can't relate to? People that win all the time. Oh man, I'm killing it again. Got another race, set another record. You know, I accidentally just got this beach body not even trying. Right, like people who just do nothing but win all the time, like, man, I, I don't necessarily admire them. I just find them annoying. The people that I actually find myself feeling close to is like, yeah, I know it seems like I always win, but I screw up all the time. I make mistakes. I feel insecure. I stumble and fall. I keep getting up. And there's something about that realness that draws you to them because you're like, oh, I'm human too. We're in this together. And the fifth thing I would suggest is this. Remind yourself that someone disagreeing with you is not a rejection of you. Some of us, man, the first sign of disagreement, we're like, well, you hate me, this is over, I guess. Someone could not like your shirt and still like you. Someone could not like your idea and still really like you. Someone could not like your position on something and still really like you. Someone could not like a decision that you've made and still like you. And in fact, if you actually wanna be in long-term relationships with people, you're gonna have to embrace this because the longer you're with someone, the more you're just like, wow, there's a lot of things that I disagree with you on, but I like you so much. And actually that's part of what I like about you, that you make me think about things that I wouldn't have thought about without you here. And I would tell you that if you practice these things on a regular basis, I think that you will be able to get to this place that like the apostle Paul, you will be able to say with a clear conscience what he writes in Galatians chapter one, verse 10. He says this, obviously, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, if I wanted everyone to like me, I probably wouldn't be a Christian. And the reason is because when you align yourself with God's values, people that don't value what God does may not like that thing about you but you are not trying to win them over. You're simply sitting in the fact that you have already won God over just by being you. What Paul is saying is it's a good thing I don't need to be liked by all these other people because that's not realistic. And the reason I don't need that is because I already am liked and loved unconditionally by God. So everything else is bonus. And my heart and my prayer is that you would 
throw this trophy in the trash, that you would realize you don't need it. You don't need to pursue it, that it is a lesser priority. Because when you run after God and realize who he says you are, your soul ignites. You rest in security and the insecurity begins to flitter away. I wanna pray that God does that in your life today as you lean in to him. Would you bow your heads across this room as I pray for you today? Father, I am so incredibly grateful for your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you for making us. Thank you for showing us how to live. God, we don't wanna demonize the fact that we are made to want to be liked. If we hadn't this thing in our life, if you didn't make us this way, we wouldn't be able to function in community. We wouldn't care about others and we wouldn't be considerate of others and we wouldn't be able to have meaningful relationships with others. God, I'm grateful that you gave us this very human need to connect with other people. Part of that is serving them. And yet God, some of us, we have, we have ignored our own needs in pursuit of trying to meet the needs of everybody else around us so that they will like us. And God, I pray that you would free us from that burden, that we would see that you like and love us, that we are yours, that we are your children, that there is nothing we can do to earn your acceptance, that you give it to us freely that your love for us is your gift to us. And as we rest in it, as we learn to love ourselves as you love us, we are able to actually love and serve those around us without feeling frustrated or bitter, without coming off as needy or angry. God, we are able to rest in our identity in you. And because of it, we are able to be our best selves with everyone around us. God, may the likability that we experience from others be just a bonus because we are completely and totally secure as your kids. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.